Who didn't know that Black Lives Matter was a grift? Who didn't know it? Go on, raise your hand. All right, all right, don't. Because I'm not here to say I told you so. Rather, I am here to ask a question. Now that you know it, what's your plan? And in order to have this conversation properly, we have to at least define what it is we're referring to. We are not referring to a neighbor or a friend who is black who takes a look at policing in America and might have thoughts. We're taking a look at the organization, Black Lives Matter, where I've been told repeatedly, why do you always have to throw out everything when, when we talk about this group? Why can't you just say Black Lives Matter? It doesn't have to be about the group. Yes, it does. It always has. It always will. And that's why I'm not down with it, because the organization is a Marxist organization. Oh, Tony, the Marxism talk. You went on vacation and you came back with Marxism talk again. Let the fools laugh. She admitted it. Her name is Patrice Cullors. She is the the organizer, the founder of Black Lives Matter. There's a funny thing you'll find about the people who who push uh, Marxism. There are those people who are the diehards, who actually believe in things like that and believe in things like communism. And by the time they realize that maybe this isn't for them, it's too late. They're already screwed. See, communism, Marxism, only works for the people at the very, very top. It doesn't work for everybody else. And even if there's a large circle of influence, that circle, by definition, has to get smaller. And some people have to be on the outside of the circle until there is only a very, very elite few who get to eat the fresh fruit. The fresh fruit, in this case, came in the shape of four homes. Four houses owned by Patrice Cullors, including one in Topanga Canyon, California. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It is so good to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Go to TonyKatz.com and get the podcast. It's free. Just click on podcast. Boom. You've subscribed. You've liked it. You've followed it. You've done all the things and good on you. Patrice Cullors is a scam artist. Now, I understand that what I'm saying can get me in trouble with some people and have me called a racist with some people. might even cause some violence from some people. It could get me sued. And the answer is, okay, what am I supposed to do? Lie to you? Somehow think that she's a good, decent person? No, 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 no. She's a scam artist. And she put together Black Lives Matter, and she was going to fight for for what's right and fight against racism and bigotry and fight against an oppressive uh, 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 police force. And over the past year, she brought in $90 million. The organization did. The organization brought in $90 million. And Patrice Cullors, a woman who has spoken at events for Bernie Sanders, bought herself a $1.4 million home in Topanga Canyon. Now, you know that while I live now in Indiana and thrilled by that, I used to live in Los Angeles. I lived in D.C. for a while. I lived in Los Angeles for a while. And now I live in America, and it's pretty awesome. I lived... 20 minutes, 
25 minutes from Topanga Canyon. I guess that depends on traffic, because sometimes I lived three hours from Topanga Canyon, depending on the traffic. Topanga Canyon, in a word, is gorgeous. It's spectacularly beautiful. It is a drive that I, to this day, adore. Just absolutely love it. I, it is one of the few things that I miss. If you go, if you still have Netflix, there's a documentary called Echo in the Canyon, which is, uh, it's actually hosted by Jacob Dylan, uh, Bob Dylan's son, The Wallflowers, and it's him and it's other musicians, and they're talking about their life in the canyon and growing up there and the music scene of the 60s and into the 70s, and it's very, very cool. It's a very, very cool uh, documentary. Topanga Canyon is beautiful. And Topanga Canyon has a population of black Americans that totals 1.6%. So the leader of Black Lives Matter picked the whitest neighborhood in America to live in and spent $1.4 million to do it. Business owners who are black got destroyed in Minneapolis and Seattle and in Portland. But Patrice Cullors bought herself a $1.4 million home. And the answer is, yes, so. Look, 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 look. It's about all of us, all right? Stop looking at me and let's start looking at those racist bigots over there. It's a grift, everybody. You don't need to know any more about it, and you never need to give it a single bit of credence again. And to all those high school students who, who, who bought into this, I'm sorry that nobody told you. I'm sorry that you didn't listen to me enough. Black Lives Matter is a grift. Your friend who is black, you if you are black, or if you are what is the term person of color, you matter. Hi, I see you. And by the way, I'm not somebody, I love this line. When people say, I don't see color. I do. I notice people. I notice people and everything about them. I notice when there's a hair out of place. I notice when they've got too much hair growing out of their ears. Oh, I hate that. I notice when they've shaved. I notice if they're fat or thin. I notice if they're attractive or not. I notice if they walk with a limp. I don't know how other people don't notice me. I notice everything. Maybe I notice too many things. But I see you. But Black Lives Matter was a scam. And you got scammed. And you bought into a great big lie. Now, you notice I didn't call it the big lie, right? That's a reference to the Holocaust, and I don't do those things. Only CNN does those things about Donald Trump, because CNN is despicable, and I've got plenty of audio on that. Wait for it, guys. You fell for a scam. But as I said, I am not here to tell you I told you so because that's not it. If Atlas Shrugged teaches anything, it's that people realize things when they realize it. And the best thing that we can do as a society is not be the people who say, ha ha, told you so, but rather, hey, I know how you feel. I'm right here. You want to talk? What do you want to do now? 
when I was a young man, gotten back from my freshman year of, of, of college, a kid I grew up with, I guess I'd call him a friend. I guess we were working towards that. He was in a car accident and died. First person I ever knew who, 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 who died and went to the funeral. And someone spoke at the funeral whose name eludes me. I mean, this is years ago now. And they said that this, this kid, whenever you, even if you were late to the party, you know, he didn't ask where you've been. He, he said, it's good to have you here. And I always thought that that was a, not only a poetic kind of statement, but is it an absolute way of how I want to live my life, right? I'm just glad that you're here. I think it's a much more hopeful, kind of joyous way to, to, to look at the world. Stuck with me all these years. And that's the way I feel about people who just realized they got scammed. Now, there are going to be some people who are going to tell me they weren't scammed. And they're going to tell you they weren't scammed. And they're going to lash out at you and me for noticing this about uh, the $1.4 million home. And then they're going to yell at us for noting that she has four homes that total $3.2 million. She was also looking at property, according to the New York Post, in the Bahamas at a resort where Justin Timberlake and Tiger Woods both have homes. According to a uh, local real estate agent, the apartments and townhouses near this area are priced between five and $20 million. The house she bought in Topanga Canyon is 2,370 square feet, soaring ceilings, skylights, plenty of windows. It's gorgeous. It's, you, you would love, love to live there. It's a scam. And they have never done anything, let me say it again, they have never at Black Lives Matter done anything to make anybody's life better if they're black. Zero. Zero. So now the question is, what are you going to do about it? And may I suggest you start by not contributing any more money. That you turn to your friends and say, don't give these people any more money. That you turn to your place of business. You know, your woke place of business where your CEO is getting on phone calls saying, we've got to be woke people and we got to fight racism. And you say to that CEO, in no uncertain terms, don't you dare give a dollar of this money to Black Lives Matter because they are a Marxist organization that stole the money so the leader could buy four houses. Demand it. Demand that you write open letters to your CEOs demanding that they stop giving to Black Lives Matter. It's a scam. It's a parlor trick. That's what you have to do. Now that you know about it, what are you going to do about it? And the answer is stop giving. The answer is stop being a part of it. You want to still work on policing in America? Feel free. Be part of this. You're out of your head. And when you see people still giving, 
and still supporting Black Lives Matter and still talking about Black Lives Matter and calling you names for noting what, what it is Black Lives Matter is doing, now you know you can drop those people from your life because they're indecent. They are unworthy of your love. They want to be lied to. Some people you just can't save from themselves. I'm Tony Katz. I am waiting for more information to come out in this shooting of a guy by the name of Dante Wright before I even begin to get into it. Because if we have learned anything, when there's a police-involved shooting... The story at the first is never the story. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Author Brad Meltzer is scheduled to be with us. Uh, coming up, a very interesting story. You know, he, he writes thrillers, but he also writes kids' books. And this is a story of how words have impact. One of his kids' books, making a, a, a viral splash with a, with a young child. And sometimes we're so focused on the... The, the, the hyper-aggressive, uh, 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 right? Uh, we don't know how, how, our, how we have the ability to have impact on other people's lives. And you got to take a breath and take a step and kind of look for that. It's, it's, it's very, very interesting. Meltzer's an interesting dude, nice history, uh, and a, a great understanding of history. We'll talk to author Brad Meltzer coming up in a little bit. So you have in Minneapolis the murder trial of former officer Derek Chauvin, this in the death of George Floyd. And then last night, you have an officer-involved shooting of, uh, of this, this 20-year-old, Dante Wright. Now, people weren't rioting and people weren't destroying police vehicles, doing all the things, but we don't know the story. Here's what Governor Tim Wall said. I'm closely monitoring the situation in Brooklyn Center. That's an area near Minneapolis. Gwen and I are praying for Dante Wright's family as our state mourns another life of a black man taken by law enforcement. That's a garbage statement from the governor. That's a governor who hates you. If you're a cop in Minnesota, what's the point? What's the point? This is a a, a state that absolutely hates you. Brooklyn Center Police said officers stopped an individual shortly before 2 p.m. on Sunday. They determined the driver had an outstanding warrant. Police tried to arrest him, but he re-entered the vehicle and drove away. Officers fired at the vehicle, striking the driver. It traveled, uh, the vehicle traveled several blocks before crashing into another vehicle, and a female passenger sustained non-life-threatening injuries. Now... There could be a hundred questions that I have, and I do. But I don't have all the information. This is the first of the story. I'm seeing all sorts of things come across social media. I'm not going to get into it. I want the story. Here's what I know. The people rioting are, of course, wrong, and anybody who supports them is, of course, wrong. And I'm seeing plenty of celebrities do that. They don't know the first thing that happened here. They've got what I just shared with you, this initial reporting. They don't know anything else. Oh, they've got a picture of him smiling with a young child. Well, I'm sold. That doesn't mean anything. They never seem to care that it doesn't mean anything. They just do it anyway, whatever. They're protesting. They're just, they're not protesting. Stop. They're not protesting. They're rioting. 
They're rioting and they're destroying property. They're going to destroy every bit of property, but they'll never get to Patrice Culler's house in Topanga Canyon. I'll guarantee you that. It wasn't just there. You had Antifa set an Immigration and Customs Enforcement office on fire. The whole building, actually. This was in Portland. Federal officers had to push them back with pepper balls. And I find this interesting because Antifa is just an idea. So clearly this was an imaginary fire. Hold on, wait. No, it was a real fire. The idea of Antifa created a real fire? How is that even possible? Remember, Antifa, which labels itself the anti-fascists, they are the fascists. Antifa is violence. All Antifa members are violent. All they know is violence. They want to watch it all burn. That's who they are. And they should never be surprised that they're met with outright violence. Not proactively. That's crazed. That's violent. Reactively, well, that's about survival. People are trying to set your house on fire, your business on fire, your building on fire. They shouldn't be surprised if they're met with something. These are the same people who in Indianapolis, Indiana, pulled guns on cars. There were cars trying to drive down the street. People decided they were going to block the street to protest. Car came, they pulled their weapons. The car then backs up, tries to go around them the other way. They ran over to stop them. Broad daylight, nothing happened. That's who they are. That's Antifa. So we've got uh, Black Lives Matter in uh, near Minneapolis. We've got Antifa in Oregon. Uh, but I guess I'm supposed to still worry about the shaman. I guess I only worry about the white supremacist groups. Is that what I... Is that Or do we start working on a society that takes a breath and gets facts and data before they make enga- they engage and can we all agree that antifa is flat out evil seems like a pretty easy thing to do author brad Meltzer scheduled up next keep it right here this is tony katz today came across a a story that's a feel-good. But as I read into it, I realized it was a bit more than that. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. It's a story of a, a boy named Jordan whose mother posted a, a video of him sharing a, a, basically a book report about a book called A New Day. And I'm like, I, I, I know the author here. That's, that's Brad Meltzer. Brad Meltzer has written everything under the sun. He knows about all the spy rings of George Washington, uh, The Escape Artist, which is available at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. This, he has written everything. He's had television shows. My gosh, we, we follow each other on, on Twitter. I don't know how it happened, but I'm, I'm glad it did. And it's a story of this kid kind of presenting the book, and the boy is autistic, and he has a stutter. My my younger brother was autistic and had a stutter until the day he died. And I was like, maybe that's why it's hitting me. But, but more than that came th- this idea of the impact of one's words. Brad Meltzer joins us right now. You can find out more about him at Brad Meltzer, M-E-L-T-Z-E-R, bradmeltzer.com. And, and when this story came to you, did, you did, did NBC reach out to you or did you actually see this kid's video? 
Yeah, I was, um, it was uh, two weeks ago. I'm sitting there at night and just scrolling through my Twitter account. And this mother says, hey, Brad, um, you know, my son wrote a book report for you and he has a stutter. So be patient. And I watched this little autistic boy with this incredible stutter review our book, A New Day. And A New Day is, is literally a book that is about what happens when Sunday, the day Sunday quits and all the other days have to come up with a new day to take her place. And, but the whole point of the book is that Sunday quits because she's unappreciated and she feels unappreciated. And, and so all these other days try out and blah, blah, blah. That's the plot of the book. But the point of the book is that with a little bit of kindness, every day can be a new day. That's the whole point of the book. So this little boy reviews the book and how much a new day means to him and how good it makes him feel with this stutter that is just heartbreaking and inspiring. And I immediately, he's wearing a little NASA shirt. I immediately just pick up my phone and I do a video back to him and say, hey, Jordan, thank you for your great book review. I even dressed like you. You inspired me so much just to put a little good into the world. That's the whole point of the book, A New Day, right? So you got to show some kindness back. And that was it. I put it out there. And Tony, my friend, what happened next, I couldn't explain is all these people started picking it up and sharing what I shared on my Twitter account. And then I got a phone call from NBC who said, this is one of the most inspiring things we've ever seen. Um, can you do something nice? And, you know, could, would you come on and, and we're going to interview the boy? And I had no idea. I didn't pitch it to them. I didn't do anything. They just found me. It, 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 what struck me about it is that people are certainly looking for good news in a world that is, is devoid of it or sometimes purposely devoid of it. But I wanted to get in with, into with you, what is it like to see your words have impact? Because I don't think you have to be an author to have impact, but I want to start from, from your point of view. You, you write in a lot of different places. You've written, you know, you have a whole series of I Am books. I Am Benjamin Franklin. I Am Anne Frank. I Am Frida Kahlo. I Am I Am Pie, or I Am Pay. I Am Pay. I always pronounce it wrong. Um, I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting in, in the books that you do, but then you've got these thrillers as well. Do you... Do you often hear from people about the impact you have on them? Or was this the first or is this the most wow inspiring? Well, let, I'll tell you the one that's the, you know, I'll tell you the big one first. And then, you know, but then I'll tell you what's more inspiring is, you know, I got letters from from U.S. presidents on my thrillers. I had Bill Clinton write to me. I had George, President George H.W. Bush write to me. I know the Bushes for years. I mean, and I, I don't know if I ever told you this, but when President Bush passed away right before he died, no one knew. His, they asked some of his favorite authors to come in and read to him. And I got asked to be one of those readers. And I was, I was in Kennebunkport. They asked me to go to, you know, visit them. And, and Secret Service are there. Um, and they tell me, listen, you're going to read to him for about five minutes. He's fallen asleep, you know, immediately. And that'll be it. And I said, yeah, it's great. I'm honored to be here. I don't care how long it is. And I go into the room and it's, I know it's the end. It, you know, at this point, it's President Bush. It's myself. It's my wife. And it's his service dog, Sully. And I know this is the end. And the Secret Service leaves. And I brought a book that I wrote, even though I write thrillers, I also write, as you know, adult nonfiction. I brought a book called The First Conspiracy about the secret plot to kill George Washington. And on his desk, there's a stack of books. And there's a copy. I had sent him an early copy of, of The First Conspiracy, and he had a copy on his desk. It's sitting there. I said, sir, you want to read this? He says, uh-huh, because at this point he can't speak anymore. And he just says, uh-huh or uh-uh. And I 
read the chapter that I bring to him is the moment where George Washington presents has the Declaration of Independence read to his troops for the very first time. And sure enough, five minutes in, he falls asleep. And I'm like, let me just finish the chapter. And I get to those words, Tony, those words we all know. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And in that moment, as I say the words, President Bush's eyes pop open and he's locked on me as if it's like an infusion of patriotism, right, from the words of the Declaration itself. And I get to the end of the chapter, he's still wide awake. I say, sir, you want to read another chapter? Uh-huh. Get to the end of that one. You want to read another, sir? Uh-huh. And another? Uh-huh. Instead of being there for five or ten minutes, I'm there for an hour. And I say goodbye to him. I know I'm never going to see him again. It's the end of his life here. And you know, my wife and I went to his funeral. They invited us to the funeral. And, and the thing that at his funeral that kept being mentioned over and over, the word that was mentioned over and over and all the people that spoke about him was this word, decency, decency. And yes, it's because he was a decent man. But I think to your point of what you said earlier, you were so right, is as a culture, we're now starving for decency. We're starving for good news. We're starving for kindness. And so to me, I love that a U.S. president writes me about my thrillers, but you better believe that that little boy with autism, Jordan, who wrote to me, I mean, I had tears in my eyes when I got that. And, and that's why we do our kids' books, is so we can give adults that inspiration, but we do the kids' books so I can give kids better heroes to look up to, like Ben Franklin, like George Washington, Dr. King, you know, Amelia Earhart, Rosa Parks. All the I Am books are all about that. Talking to Brad Meltzer, author. You can find out more about him at Brad Meltzer, M-E-L-T-Z-E-R.com. I think that when when people see the story and they hear you talking about uh, George H. W. Bush, which is uh, that that that's a story, young man. Um, they're never going to have the opportunity to speak to a president on their deathbed, uh, nor uh, may, may their book ever be uh, you know read by an eight year old uh, out, out there in the world. But they're talking to their kids, and they're talking uh, maybe uh, to their kids' friends. They're talking to people uh, they 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 work with. Now, look, I, I I do political talk. I've gotten rough and tumble in in my day, and I am pretty sure I'll get rough and tumble tomorrow. But there is something to be said for the ability to create an impact on others. And I don't know if that is always, you know, the idea of, although I, I do believe in decency, I, I work towards it. I don't always succeed, but I dang well try. But rather a, just a place of earnestness. Um, when, when you think of the things that people have responded to you and been the most impactful to them, where do you think that place is? Yeah, you know, uh, listen, our, our kids' book series is called Ordinary People Change the World. Why? Because it's my core belief. I don't care where you went to school. I don't care how much money you make. That's nonsense, Billy. And, I, and again, I don't even care about former U.S. presidents. I believe in regular people and their ability to affect change in this world. And I started the series, and I think it's important just to see this, is I was watching my own kids looking at the wrong heroes in the world. They were looking at reality TV show stars and people who were famous for being famous, loudmouth athletes and Instagram models. And it was nonsense. I was like, I got to give my kids heroes of decency and of kindness and of compassion. And I think to your, to your point, you know, when I told my daughter about the story of Amelia Earhart, I said, she flew across the Atlantic ocean. My daughter earnestly looked me right in the eye and said, big deal, dad, everyone flies across the Atlantic. She was not impressed at all. But when I told my daughter that 
Amelia Earhart, when she was seven years old, built a homemade roller coaster in her backyard. And she took a wooden crate and put roller skating wheels on the bottom of it, shoved it to the roof of her tool shed, came flying down the side of these wood planks, crashed and got up back up again. My daughter's like, tell me that story again. And I think you hit it right on the head. It doesn't matter the big people that you talk to in life. If you, if you can give your kids heroes to look up to, these are the stories. When we wrote I Am Amelia Earhart, it's not a story about history. When we wrote I Am Abraham Lincoln, it's not a story about history. On the back of I Am Amelia Earhart, it says I know no bounds. On the back of I Am Abraham Lincoln, it says I will speak my mind and speak for others. And we've done Jackie Robinson. Cause I'm like, forget a millionaire athlete. Meet a real hero. Meet I Am Jackie Robinson. And I believe to this day that my greatest impact on this world is not that I got to read to a president on his deathbed, but I got someone like Jordan or, listen, it's my own kids that I started for, to have that honest, earnest belief that if they believe in themselves and just love themselves for who they are, that they can change the world. And I believe that. And I don't mean change the world being president. That's nonsense. I believe you change the world by being kind to one person. And you know as well as I know that that decency, that kindness, earnestness, pick whatever word you want, it, it pays itself forward um, far more than anger does. Oh, that's true, right? That's really true. There is nothing, there is nothing like hearing. You know, uh, you know, I live in Indianapolis, so so on the streets here. Hey, you brought up something the other day, man. My kid and I talked about that uh, on, on the way to school. That's like like that's pretty impressive. You know, that someone would think that what I'm talking about is good enough to share with their kid. And here is is your book uh, moving a kid to to wanting to give you the uh, the full book report. By the way, what did you think of the book report? What did he get an A on it? What happened there? Listen, how am I not going to give the A plus to anyone who gives me a book report like that? But but I, I got to tell you, like the best things that I get, the best letters I get and I get letters from big, important people, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter when I get letters. You know, I got a letter from someone that said, they were teaching their kid to ride a bicycle for the first time and their kid crashed and they were so worried. The parent ran over to their kid and tried to pick him up again. And, um, and the kid they thought was going to be crying and, and stood up and basically pulled out of our book that you crash and rebuild and you crash and rebuild. And that's why you take off just like in Brad's book. I go, Oh my God. Like that's, you know, I had, I had a, I had a mother who told me this story. This is an incredible one. I don't I rarely tell this story is, this mother was reading I Am Albert Einstein with her son who has autism. And I Am Albert Einstein, as a kid's book, is all about, it starts like this. It says, ever been called weird? Ever been called different? And that's what Albert Einstein was. He thought differently than everybody else. And she said, tells me that her son actually died. He died of a disease. Um, and the, But she wrote to me and said, I want to thank you, Brad, because the last good memory I have with my son before he died was reading your book, I Am Albert Einstein. And so, of course, you know, we looked the story up in the paper. We found the story. We contacted the principal at her son's school, and we got, you know, books presented in honor of her dead son, you know, just to pay this woman back. And no one knows the story. You know, it wasn't a big deal. We didn't put it out there anywhere. We just did it because it was the right thing to do. And a year later, the woman reaches out to me and says, hey, Brad, I want you to know two things. She goes, one, I'm pregnant. And two, I actually just gave birth to our new son. We had another son. And we named him after two of our heroes. Um, so I want you to meet Finn from Star Wars, but I want you to meet young Finn Bradley, our new baby. And, you know, I, I do. I, I love wow. writing my thrillers. I love writing The First Conspiracy. I love writing our adult nonfiction books. But, you know, 
these the ordinary people change the world books. The I am books have paid me back in ways I could never repay the universe. And it's just with kindness. It just keeps coming back. Brad Meltzer is his name. M-E-L-T-Z-E-R. BradMeltzer.com. You can find the books there. You can buy uh, the books there. And, sir, listen, I'm thrilled we had this chance to talk, and I hope we get to do it again. Would love it, brother, and thanks for what you do. Thanks for putting good into the world. You know you know the people come up to you on the street and say that. You know how much that means to you. And you keep feeding that, you get more yeah. of that. I appreciate you, sir. We will talk again. Brad Meltzer, thank you. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. The biggest problem I have with people talking about the Second Amendment, talking about guns, is that they are so incapable of getting the conversation right. This was Chris Wallace on Fox News Sunday, speaking to Senator John Thune of South Dakota. It's a question about guns. It's a question about Republicans. Listen. Isn't the argument that you hear, we heard earlier from Governor Abbott, you hear from a lot of Republicans in the Senate, uh, they're coming after our guns, they're going to end the Second Amendment. Isn't that an excuse for doing nothing? That's just, that is just miserable to hear. Because if you wanted to ask a question, you would say, are there things Republicans are willing to do regarding creating a safer world or a safer country in terms of guns and still keeping the Second Amendment? What is it that Republicans are in favor of to keep guns out of the hands of criminals in possibly a more forceful way? Now, that's a question. What Chris Wallace said is, uh, why, why can't you people see reason? Well, the problem is, is that the idea of what Chris Wallace or someone on the political left, someone from Moms Demand Action or others might, might consider reason isn't actually reasonable. And the idea that somehow they're coming after our guns and is, is an excuse for doing nothing, let me say it this way. I don't even need an excuse. The Second Amendment is sacrosanct. You are not allowed to infringe on the rights of the people to keep and bear arms. So when Joe Biden says things like this, but no amendment, no amendment to the Constitution is absolute. He happens to be right. But in order to change the amendment, you have to go change it. So go ahead. Change the amendment. I'll wait. No, you cannot create laws keeping me from purchasing certain amounts of, of, of ammunition. No, you cannot create registries. No, you cannot tell me, a law-abiding citizen, that I somehow have to give up any level of rights. The answer is no, but you can change the amendment. So if you want to argue the amendment isn't absolute, go right ahead. By the way, utilizing that same logic, we can state that abortion is not absolute either, right? Just... Just wondering if, uh, if Joe's ready for that. The question from Chris Wallace is poorly delivered and actually shows his animosity. He shouldn't have animosity. People need to confront these kinds of what I'll call attacks directly and thusly. Go to TonyCats.com, get the podcast. This is Tony Katz today.